Business is about relationships. Life is about relationships. It's about people. And if you're willing to put yourself out there in a vulnerable way and just look to meaningfully connect with people, it's amazing and beautiful things can happen. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Clint Harris. Clint is a full-time real estate investor who used to be a busy professional working in medical device sales. And one day, he suddenly found himself unexpectedly unemployed. But he was ready. And today we're going through his whole story, how he started investing in real estate and building passive cash flow, how he and his wife prepared themselves for that day when he was no longer employed and they were ready to just live as full-time real estate investors. And then we go through what he is doing today as a full-time real estate investor, important lessons that he learned all along the way. What would he tell himself from just a few years ago? What guidance would he give himself? What important relationships did he cultivate along the way? And so much more. He has such an inspiring story and I'm very excited to be able to highlight his story for you today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotz. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Clint Harris. We're going through just a fantastic, compelling story of how they got started investing in real estate, how they pivoted along the way. Suddenly, he becomes unemployed, but he was ready. It happened earlier than he expected, and we're going through his whole story, learning about how he set himself up for success and how he's just absolutely killing it today. Let's go. Clint, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your story of unexpectedly becoming a full-time real estate investor. But before we get to that day in your life, tell our listeners about what you're doing right now and what you're investing in today. Thanks, Taylor. I'm really excited to be here. Appreciate the invite. So today, I still, I'm still i an active short-term rental investor. My wife and I have 14 Airbnb properties as well as a property management company. The main thing I'm focusing on at this point is I invest as an LP with retirement funds into various syndications, but specifically, I work with Nomad Capital as a general partner. We're a self-storage syndication, but specifically doing big box retail and warehouse and grocery store conversions. They're taking old big box retail that we can buy for significantly less than the replacement costs, and then uh, converting that to high residential density areas, class A self-storage facilities. Awesome. Love it. So- A lot of folks out there want to become full-time real estate investors, as you have, and you used to be a full-time busy professional, not in the real estate space, and kind of unexpectedly early became a full-time real estate investor. So let's rewind the clock and tell us about your previous professional career and how you got started as a real estate investor. Absolutely. So I came I was pre-med in college. I ended up switching and I got a business degree and came out of college and it went through, at this time there was one school in the country, now there's a couple, but I got into a career in medical sales, selling and implanting pacemakers and defibrillators. I worked in medical sales. It's the type of industry where once you implant a device in someone, that's your patient for life. 
So because of that, it's a little bit different than orthopedics or pharmaceuticals that you build strong relationships with these patients and with the doctors and the clinicians. And it traditionally has very good job security because you're working one-on-one, you're part of the team, right? So I had a 16-year career in planning pacemakers and defibrillators, 11 years in Columbia, South Carolina, and then I took a promotion to Wilmington, North Carolina in 2017. Quickly through that time period, my wife and I, I'd always been interested in real estate. In the post-2008 crash, we invested in nine single-family homes that were okay, not Section 8, but not much better. I would say most of that we kind of got wrong but there was a lot of lessons learned. When we moved to Wilmington, we started learning. That's when we discovered podcasts and the ability to network and and learn from other people's mistakes. And that's when we started buying Airbnb properties or multifamily properties specifically focused on, my question was, what's the highest and best use of every dollar that I had to invest in this market? And so we started picking up small multifamily properties in an area called Carolina Beach, duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, converting them to short-term rentals. That really supercharged our income. And everything was going great. We had, you know, 14 short-term rental units that turned into a property management company that turned into a golf cart rental business, a linen facility, cleaning company, and it was all full vertical integration. And and it was wonderful until at one point we got hit with four hurricanes in three years. Now, luckily there was no major damage, but it really made me take a hard look at my investment strategy and especially my diversification or lack thereof especially. So I was willing to take on the risks of that strategy because if you buy something, it's a quadplex with four really bad tenants in place and they're on month to month leases and you move the tenants out, you renovate the place and you convert it to a different asset class, it'll triple or quadruple the gross rental potential that you have for that property. And so we were getting just massive value swings in terms of cash flow, but as well as forced depreciation. And then you combine that with in-house management that I could do at cost through our company. It really kind of supercharges the value, which was great. And I was willing to accept that for a short period of time. But eventually in that environment with all of our properties and our business on one island, right off the coast of Wilmington, it's a matter of time, right? It's a matter of time until the big storm comes along and causes significant problems. We dozed a few bullets. We did have a few situations where we were out of business for a couple of weeks at a time, but I was willing to accept that as a young man. I'm 40 now, but at the time I was mid thirties to put myself in a position to create enough cash flow that I could invest it. And when it came time to invest it, then the real question was, I had to make a big pivot, a big pivot in terms of diversification strategy. And also short-term rentals is probably the most active form of investing that, that I think that the average person can do because you're talking about eight, 10, 12 different tenants in a single month, in a single property that are paying a lot of money and have high expectations. And there's a lot involved there. So I needed to make a hard pivot in terms of the location, the asset class, the geography, the operator, and more importantly, the amount of time that I needed to put into it. So let's take a pause real quick, just a rough timeline. About when was that you realized, hey, I'm having this success or we're having this success in these short-term rentals, but it's too concentrated from a risk standpoint. We had all these hurricanes. What year was that approximately? So we bought our first duplex in 2018. And that year, there was a hurricane called Hurricane Florence that hit. We moved to Wilmington in 2017. We looked around, checked it out. For A year later, we find out where we want to land. And we closed on that property the week that a Category 5 hurricane was bearing down on us. And I was trying to push the closing date and everyone was like, (laughs) no way. (laughs) And so 
we, it was two blocks off the water in Carolina beach and we didn't know much about the area, certainly not enough for that. So we put half our stuff in the downstairs unit in case the roof blew off and half our stuff in the upstairs unit in case it flooded and got out of town. And we were gone. It took us a week before we could get back into town. Luckily, the house is fine. The whole island was covered with shingles and insulation, but it was okay. But it, it, at that point in time, I was like, okay, there's significant risk here. I see the numbers. I know what I think this property can do, but if so, we're going to, we need to supercharge this. And we operated that first summer. My wife and I moved to the upstairs unit. We started renting out the downstairs. And that first summer we did 57 grand in the downstairs. And so I turned to my wife and I was like, okay, we need to build a system here to automate and streamline as much of this as possible and act like we've got 20 or 30 units. Because at some point we need to have 20 or 30 of these units and then take that money and run and invest it someplace else. So it was very early on, but we took that money. We took that first property and then we were out of money, but I figured out what I, I thought I invented something. Turns out people have been doing it for a long time that are just smarter than me and figured it out sooner, but something called arbitrage. There was a, I didn't have money to go buy another multifamily property, but we found one with horrible tenants in place. The guy was trying to sell it and couldn't. Everybody thought it was overpriced. We thought it was just underperforming. So long story short, he, we created a master lease. He got rid of the tenants, fixed the property up, deferred the rent for a couple months. I used the interest-free credit card to pay for the furnishings. Three months later, we paid back the credit card, paid him for the deferred rents. And it did, we paid him, let's see, it, we did $125,000 in gross rents that next summer. So 2019, after paying him the rents, the cleaning fees and everything else, our net on that was 54. The only money I spent on that deal out of pocket was $4.99 on whitepages.com <laughs> to get his name, his number, his name is Brian. He and his wife, Wendy are lovely people. They're dear friends of ours now. And that kind of supercharged us. So with living in that first property, we didn't have a mortgage. The downstairs paid the mortgage taxes, the insurance and highly seasonal, but over a yearly average, we were getting paid 1400 bucks a month. You combine that with the 54 we made off of that triplex. We took the money and we went and partnered and we bought a quadplex. Same strategy. We took that money. We bought another quadplex, took the money, went back and bought that original triplex and converted it to a quadplex. So we kind of caught our stride, but it was during, that was 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. And during that entire time period, after starting in 2018, I was like, we got to do this quick and we got to find a way to get out while we can. We still have those properties, but I was willing to take on that risk for a short period of time as long as we were very strategic about diversifying as quickly as possible. Wow. Okay. So quite the whirlwind and staying very consistent and pushing through the beginning of COVID when everybody was scared that nobody was going to take vacations again. Turned out that everybody wanted to take vacations because you know that didn't all fall apart. But one day you got a phone call that you didn't, didn't expect. Still working That's your right. day job, at least up until that time. Tell us about that situation, what it was like going into it and kind of what you thought, what happened. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. So I, we were doing all of that on the side. My wife quit her job in medical sales and was doing real estate full-time as an agent, a lot of it because of our expertise in short-term rentals. And she was doing well. One day I was at the hospital. It was 5.30 on a Friday night. I just finished three surgeries. I had four more surgeries scheduled for Monday morning. And I got a call from a manager I'd worked with for 16 years. And he's like, Hey, Clint, are you around any of our customers right now? Any of our doctors? I was like, no, I'm staying in line with an armful of baby food. He goes, okay, great. 
he reads, he reads the 90 second script and turns it over to HR and, you know, Clint during these tough economic times were forced to make decisions and without really giving me any information, that was it. And my 16 year career medical sales was over and I was 130% to plan. I just hired someone new. I was hitting every goal I was supposed to have, but we were cruising and I was completely caught flat footed. And in retrospect, it was what's called a riff, a reduction in force. And the company took the 28 reps across the country who had the shortest amount of time remaining on their contract so that they could pay the shortest amount of severance. And the, you know, someone higher up the food chain that's a bean counter looked at it and said, Hey, we got to cut this much revenue. There you go. And that's a tough pill to swallow when like I've been giving my life to the doctors I work with, the staff I work with, the patients I interacted with daily. The reality was I knew that someday it's kind of, that's a young man's game. That job is a young man's game. And so I knew one day. I wanted to do that job and I wanted to do it for more years, but there was going to come a day when I didn't want to. And that was the day that I was preparing for with real estate, with our short-term rentals. We had some long-term rentals with our property management company and with, and by then I'd started diversifying into other asset classes that were a little bit safer. And my intention was to work another two, three, four years. We had a toddler by then. My wife was 24 weeks pregnant with our second son. We had just bought a new house the month before and boom, life happens, right? And things like that happen. And and after a short period of feeling sorry for myself, the reality is, look, that was my plan all along, right? And, And I was struggling with how do I make this transition and make sure that my doctors are taken care of, my patients are taken care of, the staff that I care about is taken care of. And the reality was got taken away from me, right? So there's blessings any way you want to look at it. But yeah, at the end of the day, there, there was a reduction in force and me and there ended up being two more waves of that later with the same company. So it changed everything. But you know what happened with us because of the way that we were invested? We went from three incomes in our household down to two, right? So like our properties and our investments were still getting up and going to work every morning. And my wife, even as half, you know, halfway through a pregnancy was still working and supporting us as well. But the reality was, we had 14 rental units as well as a property management company that kind of kept things rolling right along. And I, you and I've talked about before the analogy of like, you don't wait until it starts raining, you know, before Noah started building the ark, right? It's, that's not when you want to worry about that. If you know that whatever you're doing may not be what you want to do at some point down the line, that's not the day that you start preparing for that. Now is the day that you start preparing for that. Man. Wow. I love that. And I'm, I'm sure that was a difficult experience to go through. I'm curious about when you got that call and you were no longer employed, you went from three incomes down to two, but were those two enough to like cover your lifestyle? Would you, were you good to go? Was there any sense in which you had to like, quote unquote, stop the bleeding and get things taken care of? Yeah. So we did. That's a great question. So we had moved out of the top floor of that duplex I mentioned earlier. We had built a new house and moved right into that house. And we had started a $50,000 renovation on the house that we were in. Boy. Not a great time for that. Luckily, I'd already paid most of those invoices. But yeah, so we, we had to finish that renovation fairly quickly. And there was some canceled travel plans and you know certainly tightening the belt, metaphorically speaking. But because we had invested in multifamily properties, that duplex that we owned originally that was a house ad for us, we were living in the upstairs, renting out the downstairs. We put long-term tenants in the upstairs. I just didn't want another Airbnb right there. I wanted that more steady income. So we rented out the upstairs. The downstairs still operates as an Airbnb, does about $60,000 a year. And besides that, we have 12 other short-term rental doors that we own. 
And so because we were able, we kept that property, which was always the plan, it pays for that house, it pays for this house and a little bit more. And then the rest of the properties cash flow and help us out. So honestly, in retrospect, I, the timing was perfect and it played out. I couldn't have done that with 14 individual single family properties, but because of what we were invested into in his, that you know unit density ratio that you get with multifamily apartments or mobile home parks or self-storage facilities, that it luckily we were in good shape. Awesome. So tell us about being a full-time real estate investor and what that has meant for you in terms of a day-by-day lifestyle and really work style, if you will, as compared to your corporate life before. So there was a lot of running and gunning and craziness before. I was working nights and weekends. I was on call. It was all over the place. When I had my, I've got a three and a half year old son. When we had him the first day, I was running from one end of the hospital to the other in the women and children's hospital. I ran, I did three surgeries that day, oh, running man. back and forth. And now I've got a son who is three, just turned three months old. And the way that I'm able to be present for him and be a better husband, a better father is incredible, right? So what I did is I, I shifted. I had started by then because of just knowing the high risk of where I was invested, I had started investing specifically in self-storage facilities, but not just self-storage, in self-storage conversion projects, because there's a massive value delta that is inherent. It's a really big part of the strategy. So I started investing as a limited partner and then had made the move to general partner and was helping raising capital for that a year before I was let go from my medical sales job, right? I was just working on that because I'm passionate about it. It's changed my life and it's done incredible things. Now, those projects don't pay out for a few years, right? The investors always get paid first. So there was what we call the valley of death that you kind of get through before anybody starts getting paid. But yeah, now my life is, it's usually focused on education, about our strategy, about syndication in general, about what it means to be a limited partner. And the good news is that I get to do what I love, which is talk about real estate all the time with smart guys like you. I was on the phone with Japan this morning and Peru yesterday, and it's incredible, right? And I'll tell you, boy, the way that COVID opened things up by getting everybody used to Zoom very quickly and opening that communication platform is has been unbelievable. So, because now, I mean, we're having meetings all around the world. You just have to worry about the time zone. Uh, but yeah, it, essentially the value that I used to get, take a lot of pride in of doing surgery on people. And again, being a very small part of a big machine that was saving lives, tiny part of it, right? But I'm kind of there in the background. I was really worried that the satisfaction I got from that was something I was really going to miss. And I do, there's part of that. But the reality is you can find that with the right attitude. I think you can find that in just about anything. If what you're doing is you really, it's your core belief, what you're doing is providing opportunity for other people or creating value or a better life for people. You can find that in just about anything. So I've been very happy to know that that satisfaction that's important to for my core value. I'm a big extrovert and I love people and I want to share what I feel like I've learned, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I found a place for that within an educational platform and through the syndication offerings that, that I'm able to work with. And so for me, it's really nice to still have that satisfaction. Awesome. So if you were rewinding the clock to say maybe 2017, 2018, that time frame around when you moved. And it sounds like the, the strategy kind of changed, started changing for you a bit and, and taking off, if you will. What would you tell Clint from back then? Like, What advice would you give yourself? Because it sounds like, heck, it kind of worked out probably the way you wanted to. If maybe not the way you expected, you sure. got kind of the result you wanted. 
Yeah, I, I really did. Honestly, I, I think that the biggest, I would have just said to, to think bigger because the reality is that the lessons that I learned, so I was, let's take an example. I'm taking bad, nasty multifamily properties with horrible tenants in place. And the tenants are month to month and I'm getting them out and I'm scraping drug needles out of the back alleyways and like they're chain smoking inside. Some of these properties were horrible. And then you completely renovate them, you gut them and you convert them to a separate asset class. That is the same thing that we're doing now by buying 97,000 square foot Kmarts and converting it to like that building is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? You can buy Kmart for 1.5 to $2.5 million right now. But that same size building can, with a couple million dollars into it converted to self-storage is worth 12 to $15 million, sometimes more dependent on the market. I would say that I should have been willing to go a little bit bigger with the value add because the lessons I learned there are the same lessons if it's a quadplex or if it's a Kmart or if it's a multifamily property or if it's a mobile home park. You just, you literally, you add a few more zeros. And if you're good at the underwriting and understanding the forced appreciation that comes with the value add, I'm pretty happy with the pace at which things worked out for me, right? I feel very good about that. But in retrospect, if I had known, I would have, like future Clint would have been like, hey, it's the same lesson. It's the same thing. And you can force the appreciation. You can control the value, whether it's, you know, a duplex or 200 units of whatever rental property. It's, It's got one set of fixed overhead, right? It's got one mortgage, set of taxes, utilities, whatever it may be, and multiple rental units. That's the only way to get ahead. And that's luckily what we stumbled into. That's what saved us. Nice. So other than your wife, we're taking her off the table because she's going to be the obvious and very correct and easy answer to this question. What is one relationship or person that has made a huge difference to you through the, your real estate journey generally? So there's three that really stick out. And it's funny. The first one is the partner, Eric Hemingway, that I have with Nomad Capital. And he's an incredible person for a lot of different reasons. But the two that I want to point out are actually the gentleman, Brian, that I mentioned earlier that I cold called out of the blue on a a triplex that was nasty and everybody thought it was overpriced. And I just thought it was underperforming that relationship. And another relationship with a guy named Andy, who owns a multifamily property here on the island. These are two people that are wildly different, but they're both incredibly intelligent. And my relationship with them is because I cold called them out of the blue. I knew the asset quest. I was asking myself the question, what's the highest and best use of every dollar I have to invest in this market? When I found the types of properties, I was just looking them up and calling them. The reason I love cold calling and it's always, it's near and dear to my heart is because number one, I love people. And number two, when it's about real estate, you already have something in common, right? And real estate, people love talking about real estate. Look at us right now, right? This is what we're doing. Oh yeah. And so you already have something in common with those. So being able to connect with guys that were older than me, that those have blossomed into really deep and meaningful friendships. And those are two people that have turned into mentors for me that I go to with a lot of different things outside of real estate that know how to prioritize. A lot of times the guys that are wildly successful in this industry have a very high emotional intelligence and the ability to read, read people, read relationships and understand what's important in investing in, in terms of people and relationship besides just real estate. So I would say those are two guys that are, you know, a few decades farther along than I am that I've been able to connect with in really meaningful ways, just through 
picking up a call and picking up a phone and cold calling people. Cold calling will always be special to me just because look, business is, and it's about relationships. Life is about relationships. It's about people. And if you're willing to put yourself out there in a vulnerable way and just look to meaningfully connect with people, it's amazing and beautiful things can happen. I love that. I totally agree that real estate investors love talking real estate to break the fourth wall a little bit. You and I are talking right now. It is just about 7 p.m. And it is my 34th birthday as this, as we record this. And this is what I would just love doing. I love you know investing this time and building relationships and sharing your knowledge with our audience. On the topic of cold calling, how often, I think a lot of people are afraid of getting the rejection, whether it's a rude rejection or just kind of hanging up on you. But I've had people yell at me on cold calls before. It's not fun. How often does that happen to you? How do you handle it? You know, you're with your sales background. It might not be as big a concern for you, but still you're a human, right? You probably don't love it. Do you come across that often? You know, I don't do nearly of it as much as I used to in a really heavy competitive market. You know, my wife's a real estate agent. I work with her a lot. I'm a licensed real estate agent on the side and, and try to help her with that. Yeah. 16 years in sales. It doesn't really bother me. And usually you're not the one that they're mad at. It's just the other three people before you that called that were rude or pushy or, you know, young kids or whatever. The reality is I think the best way to handle that is do better research up front and try to look for motivating factors. If you're calling about a property, you need to look up and see how long have they owned it? What other properties do they own? What area do they live in? What's happened in their lives? Pull up the newspaper, you know, just do background and things like that. Specifically, there's a property that I went after a couple of times and I just, I couldn't get the guy, couldn't get the guy, couldn't get it. So it was November, that's oyster season around here. So I sent him an oyster knife, just hand wrote him a letter <laughs> and I sent him a nice oyster knife and you know, sometimes you get a call back like that. Or if not, next time you call, they will take the call. Like, oh yeah, I remember this or whatever. Or then you find out where they're going to be and you bump into them and it's a conversation and it's a joke, right? It, it is what it is. So that that's part of the game. Like I said, 16 years in sales. Hey, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get a little bit better. And don't, if you're cold calling and you've got a lift, don't start with the most important ones. Start with the ones that don't matter, right? Start at the bottom and work your way to the top. Get your reps in and just, you know, Talk to people. It's not about getting what you want right off the, the bat. It's about establishing and building a relationship. And usually whoever talks the most is going to lose. But a lot of times, like you should aim at keeping the conversation going as long as you can. Like I'm already doing right here on the podcast. Apologies for that. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it's about relationships and looking for common ground. I love that. And you no need to apologize for talking. That's why we're here. We're here to listen to you and learn from your knowledge. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Clint, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. 
great. You listen to the show. You know this. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? In terms of from the, again, I'm big on relationships, but I think from the real estate side of things, there's two things. On one quickly, I did a flip. I flipped a, a property, owned it for a little over a year. An Amazon distribution center came in. I flipped it. I did a 1031 exchange into a borough property so I could pull the money out without the tax liability. And I went on to buy a quadplex with that. But with the Burr property, it was the month that my son was born when I did the refinance and I pulled the money out. So I set that property to pay off the month that he turned 16. I don't want to sell it probably because there's a 1031 involved there, but I set it to pay off when he's 16 so that it can be used for um, school or whatever else. I It's on a 30-year note, but I set it up to pay off. I think I lose like $7 a month on that. But it just appraised, you know, recently, a couple of years ago for 202. In theory, maybe it's worth 240, 250. I don't know, you know, 14, 15 or 12 years from now. But that's one that I'm happy about because of the future implications it has on my family and helping take care of that. Besides that, the triplex that I picked up through arbitrage and, and later picked up, that one is important to me because I spent $4.99 to net $54,000. <laughs> A year off of that, I'm very proud of that. But more importantly, I bet you in the long run, more value in my life comes from the relationship that came from that that $5 spent. So I would say that's probably the best investment. Awesome. Awesome. Some great ones there. So we had the best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh, as a strategy overall in Columbia before any other podcast or ability to network or Facebook groups, I was learning about real estate by renting DVDs and CDs on to, uh, books on CD from the local library. This is dating myself a little bit. <laughs> this is, I was in my early twenties and they have apps buying, for that now. <laughs> this, I was on my Blackberry curve back then trying to figure things out. So back then we ended up buying nine single family homes. They were not section eight, but they were not much better on paper. I'm picking these properties up for 30, $35,000 a piece in the 2000 post 2008 crash. And on paper, it's the 2% rule. They're all going to cash flow. It's going to be great. The reality is every time somebody moves out, the CapEx cannibalizes all your cash flow. The stove's broken. The little kid's bedroom door is kicked in. It's a very sad situation. And that that was it for me. And that was when I graduated to, to multifamily and onto other things. Did you net out positive because of appreciation on those since you got them at the bottom of the market? One of so yes and no. One of them appreciated wildly, which is the flip that I talked about because an Amazon distribution center went in. The rest of them, I bought them for 30 to 35 grand and I sold them for like 40 to 45. You. It, it was, the juice was not worth the squeeze. So no, and it, in order to hit the 2% rule and get the, you know, buy it for 35 and it's written for 750, these are in areas that it was going to take a long time to appreciate if they ever did. So no, it was just young, dumb me looking at the percentages and thinking the cash flow was the key. Hey, it got you started and look at where you are now. So you can't be uh, right. too upset about it. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So uh, this is a great question. First of all, Sam Zell passed away recently. Yes. One of the things that Sam Zell was huge on was buying below the replacement cost. So I think that is certainly part of this equation. What the value delta that comes with an asset class conversion, right? If you buy an asset that is valued as whatever that asset is and you convert it to something else. If I buy a quadplex with bad long-term tenants in place and I convert it to an Airbnb, it's going to triple or quadruple the gross potential income from those rents. The same way that if you buy an old grocery store 
like a Piggly Wiggly grocery store in Macon, Georgia, that, and then you convert it to 65,000 square feet of climate-controlled self-storage, it supercharges it because you're buying it as one thing. You're bri- buying it as the brick and mortar. You know, those bricks and sticks are basically worth whatever somebody's going to pay for it. If it's been sitting empty in that community for 10 years, we've all seen these Kmarts and grocery stores and warehouses with high residential density area in, in a, a market that at one point in time drove there for 20 years to buy their stuff. It's still a great location for those same people to come back to the same spot and put that same stuff back in the same building, right? But it's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. We can buy those for significantly below the replacement cost. Thank you, Sam Zell. And then do an asset class conversion. And that asset class conversion changes the formula by which that asset is valued. You switch it from price per square foot to a net operating income. You buy it for less than the replacement cost, sometimes millions less than the replacement cost, and pump up the value. Sometimes, you know, five, 10, 15 million dollars because you're changing the asset class and changing the formula by which that is valued. That's the most important lesson that I've learned because it's a huge value swing and it's enough to change the financial velocity of people's lives. Awesome. Great lesson. And I wonder how much of that stuff that winds up in the storage was originally purchased at that Kmart. It's probably not nothing. It might be a couple of things, probably not. These people live in a seven mile radius. There's stuff in there. I promise (laughs) you. (laughs) There's some stuff there. Well, Clint, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all this knowledge. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find your podcast, where can they track you down? So first of all, happy birthday. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate that. So I'm co-host of the Truly Passive Income podcast. So you can catch up with me at trulypassiveincome.com. Or I'm also partnered investor relations and capital raising with Nomad Capital. And you can reach out to me and email me directly, Clint at nomadcapital.us. And that's it. I love to chat about real estate, obviously. It's what I do all the time. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher on the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your ratings and reviews. I get to see that you're engaging with the content and that you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.